welcome. Very glad of this opportunity to have fellowship with you once again. I want to take as a, as a text this morning, uh, John chapter 20 and verse 20. When Jesus had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The Christian faith is faith in a crucified Christ. He lived, he died, he rose again for our sins and for our salvation. Now that's our faith. That's the faith in which we live and the faith in which by God's grace we shall die. It's the very heart of the gospel message that we, that we proclaim. Uh, the songs that we sing, the hymns that we sing, proclaim these truths. He died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good. That's fine, fine statement. The Lord Jesus Christ died to atone for our sins, to wash them away, but he also died to make us holy. Both of those things, to take our sins away and to make us holy. His work, his work on the cross, finished work, resurrection is the consequence of that completed, finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Death could not hold him. He could say, I am the resurrection and the life. He could say, for I, or Paul could say, for I delivered unto you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Magnificent statement. He died, he was buried, he rose on the third day. And then as we turn to the four Gospels and we look at the uh, closing chapters, the details of these things are wonderfully described for us. We not only have the truth of the resurrection as it were proclaimed to us in the epistles, but we have an account of all those details that surrounded the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The uh, wonderful eyewitness detail of his resurrection, the empty tomb, the amazement of those folk, the women and the men, their amazement that the tomb was empty. Whereas they ought to have known Jesus had told them that he would rise again. They're amazed. They're astonished at the empty tomb. The visit of the visit of the women, the visit of Mary Magdalene, the visit of John and the other disciples. That's extraordinary detail there. Those two young men running in the morning. It's, the morning is hardly hardly broken on there, running through the streets of Jerusalem. I'm bound to get this wrong. Who was who was ahead? John was ahead, wasn't he? John got there first. And then came Peter, but John, John, a bit more hesitant. Peter straight in to the tomb to see 
what there was to be seen. Amazing eyewitness detail. And then the upper room appearances. How wonderful they really are. And our text <clears throat> that Jesus showed them his hands and his side. And then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Immeasurable joy that Jesus is risen from the dead. And we in our days, we so much need, do we not, to recapture that sense of joy and of triumph through the cross and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are three things that I, <clears throat> that I want to say to you about the resurrection this morning. They're very plain and uh, ordinary things, but I want to bring them before you again. And the first thing is this, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historic event. It really happened. It happened in time and in space. It's as real as the sunrise this morning. The tomb was empty. Jesus was seen. <clears throat> it's essentially different from, for example, from C.S. Lewis's Narnia stories. Many of you have read probably The Lion, The Witch and The Wardrobe and perhaps you've read uh, the others as well. But books in which uh, animals talk, witches cast spells and, and Aslan, the, the lion, is the deliverer. C.S. Lewis was not writing history there. He was writing a good story. It, it has a, a message in it, but it's a, it's, it's a story, it's a piece of fiction, and uh, we enjoy uh, reading it. But when we read the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's not like that. It's not that kind of literature. It's factual. It's hard history of events that took place in those days. The tomb was empty. Jesus was risen. And we, we mustn't allow anything to, to blur that, that truth. Sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes I think we do this unwittingly and uh, unintentionally. There's a hymn. It's not in our hymn book. It's in the new uh, Christian hymns. But it's a, an oldish hymn. I serve a risen Saviour. He's in the world today. That's how it, how it begins. And the chorus goes, he lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. And then, at the end, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. That's true. That's true. But it's not the way in which the New Testament bears witness to the resurrection of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I'm not criticising the hymn in total, saying we shouldn't sing or anything like that. But we do need to be aware of this. <coughs> you see, it's possible to sing that Jesus Christ is risen, is, is alive, without believing in the resurrection. 
Bishop Durham, uh, man who at that time was the Bishop of Durham, you will remember some years ago now, denied the resurrection. It was a shameful and very sad thing. He spoke quite scornfully of it. He talked about it as a conjuring trick with, with bones. <clears throat> but when he was challenged, he spoke very strongly that he believed in a living Lord, not in an empty tomb. Jesus lived, he believed, lived on in the faith of the disciples. But no empty tomb. Jesus lay there forever in that tomb. But that won't do. That really won't do. <clears throat> the plain testimony of Scripture is to a risen Saviour. And that's a first and of enormous importance. Tomb is empty, the Saviour is risen. <clears throat> the women arrived at the sepulchre, found it empty, and they were dismayed. It was not what they expected. Peter and John, as we've, we've said, they arrived at the tomb, found it empty, but it was not what they were expecting. The idea that, that these men were expecting a resurrection, and so they kind of read it into their, into their beliefs when in fact he wasn't risen. It's nonsense. That's almost the sad thing about it. They weren't expecting it. The women went to the tomb to finish their work of embalming the body and preparing it for burial. They weren't expecting the resurrection. And they almost had to be driven to believing that Jesus was raised from the dead. It's a historical event. It's a real event. And we glory in that. Glory in a risen Savior. That's the first thing. And then, secondly, Jesus staked his whole claim on the resurrection, on his resurrection. In, you remember in, in John 2, when the Lord Jesus Christ goes into the temple and uh, he, he drives out the, the money changers and the people who turn the temple into a, into a marketplace. And you get just a glimpse of the indignation and the anger of our Lord Jesus Christ that, that men and women should defile the temple of God in this way. He drives them out and a whip, of course, drove them out. Do you remember what the Pharisees said? They said to him, what sign do you, do you show us to prove that you have a right to do these things? What sign? Jesus answered, you remember, destroy this temple. It's the temple of his body that he was speaking of. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it again. That's the sign above all else. The miracles were signs, but this is the sign, the visible proof and, and confirmation and testimony that the Lord Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, that he is the Messiah 
that he is the Son of God, that he is the Saviour of the world. You have, of course, the same point in uh, Matthew 12. The scribes and the Pharisees looking for a sign, something, some visible token, some visible proof. Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. No sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It's the resurrection again that the Lord Jesus Christ goes to as proof that he is who he claimed to be and that his teaching has divine authority. The earliest preachers of the gospel bore their witness to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Acts. It's just interesting to go through the, uh, the, the verses, the references to the resurrection. You remember in Acts chapter 1, where they were fascinating situation. They were filling a gap. Judas had gone. They needed a replacement. And the scripture says they were looking for a man who would become with them a witness to the resurrection. That's what they were looking for. That's the key thing. They found two such men. And you remember the Lord guided them and uh, they chose one of them. Again, Peter's sermon at Pentecost. He says, how with wicked hands you crucified and killed Jesus the Savior. And God has raised him up, loosing the pangs of death that bound him, but could not hold him. Again in Acts 4, in that great prayer meeting that followed the re release of Peter and John. And with great power. They gave testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The preaching of these first apostles. The resurrection, the cross and the resurrection. Both of course. But for our point here, the resurrection of the Saviour. And again, Peter preaching to the household of Cornelius. Spoke of Jesus Christ as the risen Saviour. And, and finally, Paul at Athens in Acts 17 preaches the risen Christ there. So, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an event in history, magnificent, glorious. It had a time and a place when Jesus rose from the dead. Secondly, Jesus staked his whole claim on rising from the dead. And we see that in the ministry of the apostles. Again and again, they go back to the resurrection as the great evidence and proof. And thirdly, we are to proclaim a risen Christ. We are not saved by a dead Christ. We preach Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Our sins were laid upon him, bowed his head and died. But is that all? 
Is it enough to say he was delivered up for our offenses? Must we not also be able to add he was raised for our justification, cross and the empty tomb together? If Jesus Christ is to be a, a saviour to us, then he must not only die, but he must be a risen Christ, a risen living Saviour. And we have a truth again and again in the scripture. Death could not hold him. He died and his death was real. He lay for three days under the power of death. But death could not hold him. No reason for death to hold him. He satisfied all the demands of justice. He met all the righteous requirements of God's law on our behalf. Death could not hold him. We sing that, don't we, in the marvelous words. Death cannot keep his prey. Jesus, my Savior. He tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. And he did. It's good to remind ourselves of that. We are all this morning dying men and women, but we have a Savior who tore the bars away, who conquered death by his own dying and rising from the dead. One, one writer says this, I think it was Warfield, that he died manifests his love and his willingness to save, that he rose again manifests his power and his ability to save. Because he rose from the dead, we may know that the full penalty for our sins has been paid. Nothing remains. There's nothing to pay. It's rather nice, isn't it, when you're in a situation and you're buying something and you think when you get into the shop or to the department that you still owe something, you put your hand in your pocket and the assistant, it doesn't often happen, does it? Says, no, no, no more, but you paid, you paid. And the Lord Jesus Christ has paid in full price of our redemption. And it's that Christ that we proclaim to the world. We preach Jesus Christ crucified, but we preach an empty cross. Remember, his, was it his, his last word, that shout on Calvary, finished, just one word, finished. And it is marvelous. We need to have that ringing round in our minds and in our hearts. Finished. All is done for our salvation, the price of our redemption fully paid. How, how doesn't mean, that's important here, how doesn't mean that the risen Lord Jesus Christ is now doing nothing for us, that he's done everything for us on the cross and does nothing for us now. No, it doesn't mean that. His work of sacrifice is finished. His blood is shed. 
the price of redemption is paid. His humiliation is over. It is finished. The Lord Jesus Christ now in heaven has a glorious work to do on our behalf. He's our great advocate. He's our great high priest. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Not a moment passes, but the Lord Jesus Christ has you in his power and in his love. His intercession is an availing intercession. He is our great mediator in heaven, and he's reigning. He's reigning. He ascended from the cross to the throne and all of the world and the earth and all events are in the end under his scepter. All that happens to you and I, the accidents, the strange things that we can't understand, they're under his scepter. And he's working all things for his glory and for your good. It's very hard to see that at times, isn't it? We're to believe that. We're to lay hold on that. Not because we can understand it. Not because we can see how it's all working out. Sometimes we can. Sometimes we get a little glimpse and we say, ah, yes, the Lord was doing this or that. That's a great encouragement to us. But often we're in a situation where we can't see. Or we can't see. But he's at work. He reigns. He rules over all. We to hold on to that a great and a, and a mighty truth. He's working for us now in heaven. He sends the Spirit. He sent the Spirit at Pentecost in that, in that once for all sense. But he now still, still he supplies the Spirit to us. He gives gifts to the church through the Holy Spirit. He guides the church by the Spirit. And we are comforted, are we not, by the fact that he walked this path before us. Whatever trials and dark wounds you and I go through, he went through before. We get some comfort, don't we, from our friends when, when a friend says, yes, I, I know something of how you feel because that happened to me. I had that loss some years ago and I can go some way in understanding and that, that comforts us. But the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted in all points like as we are, beyond what we know, but yet without sin. And we have in him a sympathetic high priest, one who is able to help us, to deliver us and to bring us through. <clears throat> There's a, a, a story, and I've told it a number of times, I may have told it here, but um, it, it comes from the lips of Paul Tucker. Some of you will know the name. Paul Tucker, he was a minister of Princess Street Mission in Barry for a number of years, and I was in the area. first went in the area, Paul Tucker was in Barry, and uh, I knew nothing about him. Or, or about Princess Street, but I had Christian friends who said, well, that's where you should go, and I went. And I heard Paul Tucker 
preach. And I, I took notes in those days. I wrote those notes up. And I've still got them at home. So I'm indebted to Paul Tucker. But he tells, he tells this story. It's the story of a somewhat unusual evangelist called Ebenezer Wooten. <clears throat> he was uh, one of those evangelists that was around, I suppose, the early, early years of the, perhaps into the mid-years of the last century. Um, took his own tent around, put it up, and held, held services. That doesn't often happen today, does it? But it happened in those days. And, and Ebenezer Wooden, that's, that's what he did. Preached for a number of days, perhaps a week, and visited people, held tunes meetings, and then he'd move on. And so the day came when he was moving on, and he was pulling up his tent pegs. And a young man came to him and uh, said to him, Mr. Wooden, what can I do to be saved? And uh, we're told that Mr. Wooden uh, didn't even lift his head, carried on pulling his tent pegs out. But uh, he said to the young man, you're, you're too late, young man, you're too late. The young man was taken back. He said, what? You mean because the meetings have finished? taking the tent down, that I'm too late to have my sins forgiven, too late to be saved. Oh no, Mr. Wooden said, no, no, that's not what I said. You asked, what can I do to be saved? The Lord Jesus Christ did all that was needed, dying on the cross. All you need to do is to fall down on your knees and repent and ask Jesus Christ to forgive you and to be a saviour to you. We're told that the young man did exactly that. But that's it, isn't it? The resurrection, the proof that Jesus Christ ready stands to save us. How comforting that is. There's one other truth that came to our mind here before I finish. It's just this, this union which we have in Christ. We are one with him. It's one of the wonderful things that happens. When we first become Christians, we become one with Christ. And we are one with him. We're united with him in his death and in his resurrection. Scripture says that on more than one occasion. Uh, Ephesians 2, we who were dead in our trespasses have been made alive together with Jesus Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him. Again, 2 Timothy. This is a trustworthy saying. If we have died with him, we shall also live with him. These two things are going together. We're in Christ. A little phrase again and again in the New Testament. <coughs> Christ. How marvelous that is. And all the salvation ours in Christ. I, I can't restrain myself from doing what I guess lots of preachers have done just in the last few years. Remember the mining disaster in, uh, was in Peru, in South America? Remember that there had been a fall and that uh, men were trapped. Tremendous death down in the earth. 
the whole situation looked utterly hopeless. But then someone had the idea that they could drill and drill a hole large enough to just to take the body of a man. And they drilled. It took ages. Families, children, wives waiting. And eventually they got through to where these men were, deep down in the earth. And a little cage was made. What did they call it? They called it a shuttle. And this shuttle was lowered down through the shaft, down, 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 to where the miners were. And then one at a time, he got into the shuttle just, and they were pulled up that long shaft back to the surface. Marvelous, it really was marvelous. And can we see that as a little picture of how God has put you in Christ? He's your shuttle, you're in Him. And Deliverance comes, and salvation comes, all its benefits now and in a world to come in Christ. We are safe and we shall finally be saved in Him. Resurrection of Jesus Christ, glorious event. Two hundred and twenty-nine. Two hundred and twenty-nine.